Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Tastemaker Conversations, a food blogger podcast for foodie influencers and content creators where we share tips and resources to help you grow your food blogging business. I'm Susie. And I'm Todd. Together we run HeyGrillHey.com, which is an online food blog that Susie created way back when and it's actually now become our full-time family business. Today we are interviewing Lisa from Downshiftology. Lisa is going to be presenting at Tastemaker um, and she is going to be covering YouTube. And today in our podcast we actually steal some tips from Lisa before her conference presentation. She's given us some great takeaways, some great tips, and if you have ever been interested in kind of exploring YouTube as a platform, She'll talk about some of the benefits of building there and investing long-term and growing your community, which I think is a great thing that a lot of food bloggers should really start considering. So, I'm excited. Okay, here we go. Lisa Bryan is the founder of Downshiftology, a healthy food and lifestyle website. She is a former corporate executive turned wellness lover after taming multiple autoimmune diseases with real food and positive lifestyle changes. She's been featured in Elle, Fitness Magazine, Huffington Post, and Mind Body Green. With millions of readers and a highly engaged community, Lisa inspires her followers to chart an individual path to wellness through her relatable content and videos. That's a great bio. It's very Thank you so much. I always love reading everybody's <laughs> bios because it's one of those things that you have to write yourself. Which and, is and that's always the hard. hardest. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to talk about what you do, your accomplishments, and deliver like a clear message. But it's incredibly professional and you did a great job. As you were reading that, I, I feel like I need that. I need a, I need a guide. I need someone to help me. Yeah, so we, need we, a, we need a Lisa Bryan at our house. There's, I'm I'm happy to help. I'm happy to <laughs> offer my services, my bio services. <laughs> Your bio services. Very representative. Okay, yeah. so as we jump into this conversation, we just want you to know we're super impressed by everything that you have built. We've been doing a little bit of research, looking at your social channels, your website, and we just want to dig in a little bit to your story. Give our audience a chance to get to know you. Are you married? Do you have kids? Where are you living? What were you doing before food blogging? We touched on it a little bit, but how did that transition happen for you from pre-blogging life to where you're at now? Yeah, um, I can say that I definitely didn't foresee it or plan it. Um, uh, so I actually live in Southern California in Orange County and I'm single and I was that corporate workaholic for a long period of time. I was, um, for probably the last 10 to 15 years, I was a corporate marketing executive in healthcare and biotech predominantly. And it was interesting that I was in healthcare and I was probably one of the most unhealthy people you've probably ever met. <laughs> Isn't that kind of true? Oh, I feel like I that's so true. <laughs> It's, you know, when you're kind of around it and surrounded by it, but you know, it's one of those things that you climb up the corporate ladder and you're working long hours and you know, your, your days and your weeks start to turn into 70, 80 hour weeks. And, you know, I had no concept of self-care at that point in time. And about two years, um, before I left the corporate world was when I kind of had my autoimmune craziness and it was, um, a year of getting diagnosed with multiple autoimmune diseases back to back. And what started that was actually getting diagnosed with celiac disease. And I had a bunch of 
random symptoms that, you know, were several years in the making and doctors couldn't get to the root of the problem. And after a lot of Google sleuthing and searching (laughs) on my end, um, and just connecting those dots that, you know, doctors tend to look at each piece of your body very individually, and no one is really looking at you holistically. Right. And, and so when I'm connecting, well, why am I having this gut problem? And why am I now having allergies? And why am I fainting and getting lightheaded? And, you know, so I kind of connected the dots and long story short, I ultimately got diagnosed with celiac disease. And then once you start, or at least once I started to understand the autoimmune puzzle, then all those other diseases and symptoms I was having started to get names like psoriasis and Hashimoto's and endometriosis. And so it, that was kind of a brutal year of getting a bunch of autoimmune disease um, diagnoses back to back. And so I decided to completely revamp my life, um, change my diet. And at that point in time, I thought health meant eating clean. And so um, I adopted, uh, I went gluten-free, I then went grain-free, I played around with um, a paleo diet and an autoimmune paleo diet and felt enormously better. And I thought I had it kind of under control, but I, my lifestyle was such that I was still working these crazy, you know, 70 to 80 hour weeks. And, um, finally, like a year later, year and a half later, I just reached that complete burnout and realized that the stress was taking a toll on my body and my immune system. And so I kind of had this moment that I was like, I'm just going to take a year off. I'm going to reset my life, (laughs) figure out what am I doing? You know, what's going on? I was at that point, I was in my late thirties and, you know, just, I think I had been working like a dog for so long that I just wanted to reset. So I said, I'm just going to take a year off. And that ended up into about six months of taking time off and then six months of traveling the world, which wasn't so bad. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good reset. I know. And it was about two months actually before my six months traveling around the world, I decided to start a blog and I had never, even though my whole background was corporate marketing, I did not know much about digital media because healthcare marketing is very traditional marketing. Um, the, you know, the only kind of foray into digital was having a corporate website. I'd never even had any social media accounts, um, other than Facebook with my family. So I'd never had an Instagram account, never had been on Pinterest before. And to be honest, I'd never even followed a blog before I started my blog. <laughs> so I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, somebody said, start a blog. And I said, okay. <laughs> That's a Why good way not? to start, I think. Yeah. Sometimes and I think you get bogged down if you have too much experience. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was just a little, it was a little bit clueless and just like, and, and at that point, I just really wanted to share recipes and knowledge. And because for me, the gluten-free way of eating was still so new. Right. And I wanted to just share what I was kind of learning and making. And so I, I started the blog, traveled around the world for six months, um, obviously didn't do much on the blog for pretty much that whole first year. And then when I got back, one of my posts had started to gain traction. And, and I was like, oh, I wonder if this could really truly turn into something. And so after I got back, so kind of going into my second year, um, I said, you know, I can maybe roll up my sleeves and figure this out and dive in and learned everything I could about SEO and just WordPress and blogging. And then I took a bunch of photography classes to up-level my photography. You know, those early photos are 
always cringeworthy. Um, you got to keep them around, though, as a marker I, for where you started. I'll keep them around. I don't know if I'll keep them on my website. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then kind of that second year was the one I said, you know, I'm going to see if I can make a go of this. And in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, if it doesn't work out, I could always go back to corporate. You know, I could always go back to doing what I was doing, but I just wanted to try something new. And thankfully, you know, I had a good amount of savings um, because I had worked so hard for so long to kind of sustain me in that transition period. And, you know, that first couple of years were a little slow, but now, gosh, so three, I would say three years full time, I'm into it. And it's now my full time job and income. And I now make more than I did as a vice president of a biotech yeah. company. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's where we are too. I'm a, I'm a CPA. I got a master's degree and a CPA and I just quit my job like six months ago and we're now making more money than I ever dreamed of making as a CPA, which I thought were lofty dreams. So I it, know. It's it's, they don't tell you about this in college. <laughs> no. no, no, they yeah. don't. There's no classes on here. It'd be no. like, I always compare it to panning for gold in the wild west. Like, they didn't teach classes. People just went out there and tried it. And some people, it worked out really great. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And now the funny thing is, is, you know, people say, well, could you go back to corporate? And I'm like, eh, I don't think I could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having this life and this freedom and just doing what I love and something I'm passionate about. And even though I'm still working really long hours, which I'm working to manage, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to wake up and just love what you do every day. Yeah, we, were, really we were talking yesterday. Um, it's like, it's this new higher level stress. Like I had stress at my corporate accounting job, but this is like higher level stress because it's like, but, but it, we put it on ourselves. So it's more manageable and it's more like, uh, I don't know, fulfilling. More, it's more fulfilling and we're more driven to do it. It's so true. It's so true. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's like a self-induced stress. Yep. And most of the time it's just because we want our businesses to be better yep. and to do better. And yeah, we totally put it on ourselves. And, but at the same time, stress is stress to the body. And I think that as creatives, we do need to manage that because, yes. um, it can still have those same ramifications from a, you know, a physical disease manifestation standpoint. And so, yeah, and I'm doing my best now to kind of build that separation of, you know, work and personal because it's, it's hard to turn it off. Yeah. Well, especially when you love it too, it makes it even harder. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's so true. But it's, is... it's cool how far we've come, like even 10, 20, 30 years ago, like there was no talk of this stress induced, um, manifesting <laughs> issues. Right. Like, right. I think, I think a lot of people, I remember one kid from my elementary school who he, he didn't know what it was called. He just knew he couldn't eat wheat, right? But, like, I didn't know anybody else. And I thought it was so strange that this kid couldn't eat bread or anything. But, like, now it's so – I think it was prevalent then. and People just dealt with the issues or whatever. Like, oh, I just don't feel good when I eat a piece of bread or whatever. But now I think it's awesome how far we've come and how, and how people like you are leading the charge and teaching us how diet and lifestyles can really help – these issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, you know, technology is, is a double-edged sword. You know, we have technology to thank for learning all of these things. You know, the fact that I could figure out what was going wrong in my body almost before doctors could, yeah. um, because I had access to that knowledge and that information and, you know, could connect the dots. But at the same time, it, it is this 
inability to kind of disconnect. I, somebody had said an analogy recently that I thought was really interesting. And it was, you know, when the internet first started back in the day, um, we all wanted to go to the internet to escape life. You know, it was kind of yeah. like this fantasy cool thing. And now we're all trying to escape the internet back to life, yeah. you know, to, to live life because now we're almost becoming chained to technology. Yep. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting path that it's taken in, gosh, you know, 10 years, a short period of time. Yeah. Cause yeah. we're, our kids are young, like nine and nine and younger. We have three and we're not interested in them getting social profiles or anything online at all. Like ever, like it'll be, it'll be a stretch if they, if, if like maybe at 16 we let them or something, but we just don't even want them getting involved at this point. Yeah. I feel like well, I'm I mean, jaded too, because <laughs> I do work in it all the time and it is like a chain so much. Like it kind of pushes me in the opposite direction with like, no, let's get off of it as often as we can and only be on it when we have to. Well, and thankfully, you guys in Utah have gorgeous nature and scenery, yeah, yeah. and you can, you know, get that connection back with Mother Nature. Just go for a hike and breathe in that beautiful air that you guys have. Yeah. So that's that's definitely a blessing. So I wanted to ask you. This has been an awesome conversation, by the way. I love your story. Um, oh, I want to know how you came up with the name Downshiftology <laughs> because it's hard to pick a blog name for one. But I feel like there's always a little bit of a story and a little bit of significance behind everybody's name. So give me a little bit of background on that. Yeah. And it's funny because as a marketing person, I think I kick myself sometimes that I was like, why did I pick such a long and difficult to pronounce name? <laughs> and it doesn't fit well on business cards. And like, what was I thinking? But again, never having followed a blog in my life. Um, and, you know, I think I was bouncing around ideas and I didn't want to get pigeonholed into like a gluten-free or a paleo or, you know, something that was, I think, ultra specific. And I kept going back to this concept of downshifting life because I think not only at that point, but even now several years later, I keep coming back to it because healthy food, in my opinion, is, you know, core. It's, it's kind of that first step that people take when they're looking to adopt healthier habits. Okay, let me change my diet. But I look at food on the same level as stress, as sleep, as physical activity, and all of those other things. And then what I found was, for me, when my autoimmune symptoms are the most well-managed and um, my body feels the best, it's when I've actually managed everything other than the food. Because So for me now, I eat clean you know, all the time. So that's the baseline. But I can still have autoimmune flares if my stress gets the best of me or if I'm not sleeping well for a variety of reasons or I haven't exercised in a while. And so then ultimately I just realized, you know, the things that were most impactful was just downshifting my life. You know, this concept of just taking a step back, taking it down a notch, taking everything down a notch and, you know, not trying to get lost in that state of busyness and hustle and always trying to improve and be better. And which is like opposite of what everyone tells us all of the time, especially I in know. this business. It's all about the hustle. It's all about how much can you put in and what can you do to build this? And it's all on your shoulders. And so that's a very, a very different perspective than what you hear on a lot of other podcasts or forums. It's about, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just working your butt off. 
and getting well, and it I, done. And I think, you know, if somebody asked me how I grew my business to be successful, you know, I mean, the first thing I will say is I've worked really hard in long hours. Yeah. But I think that at the same time, it's also realizing that, um, you know, my body responds best and, you know, most well when I'm traveling, when I'm, you know, enjoying life, when I'm exploring, I'm such a wanderluster and that's like my happy, you know, space. And so it's, you know, and I always tell people too, that I think I, I, I started this website as much to remind myself as others. Yeah. Um, Which is you know, nice every, to have a daily reminder for yourself. It is. It's, you know, cause I can get caught up in that too. And I was actually just thinking about this and I'm sure we'll talk about this on the video side and you know, the amount of work that goes into creating videos and it is an enormous amount of work. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you just need to take a step back. And if that's, you know, you're not producing a video for a week so you can get a little bit of breathing room, you know, I think that people need to do that and we all need to do that. Yeah. I love that. I, as you were talking, sorry, that's a perfect transition. What we're going to go do next, but I want to <laughs> say real quick, I, I, I just thought about like you living in California and just like shifting down a gear in a car, right? And how that's, slows the car if you're in first gear in a car you can only go so fast right so like just I just thought of myself like shifting to a low gear on the PCH you know like just enjoying the breeze and <laughs> that's <bustle>. exactly that's, <laughs> and isn't that doesn't that just make you feel good thinking about it oh, yeah. <laughs> makes me want to run away for a minute so exactly any, so let's chat about YouTube a little bit let's chat about videos you, you, you express the difficulty in making videos which we relate with we got a <laughs> we went to a full burnout stage a couple months ago where we didn't film one for like a month because we just couldn't even think about it anymore but anyway talk about YouTube and how you grew it and what you're doing there yeah so YouTube was interesting so I started YouTube I actually started it probably a year after when I had originally wanted to start it. And that was purely because I'm an introvert and I was just freaking out about putting myself on camera and on the internet. And so at that point in time, tasty style videos and Facebook were just going viral and everyone was kind of jumping into that. And the marketer in me was thinking, you know, these are great, but they're hands and pans and they're not distinguishable. You know, there was no kind of branding behind them at that point in time. You couldn't tell one video, you know, who was creating one video from the next. Now in hindsight, because I didn't go that path initially, you know, I, I lost out on all the social uplift that obviously came with the tasty style videos. But I think at my core, I wanted to build a community and I didn't feel that those videos would help me create a community where I was hopefully inspiring other people to adopt healthier habits. And so I decided to jump into YouTube and put my face on camera <laughs> and start with just um, some easy videos, what I called healthy basics. That was things like making cashew milk and making almond butter um, and just doing simple things. And I will say I had to start simple because I was actually living at my parents at the time. So when I left the corporate world and traveled around the world, I actually got rid of my apartment in Orange County, um, moved back in with my parents in my late 30s. Um, my dad actually has Parkinson's, and so I moved back home to kind of help take care of him um, while at the same time, you know, get this business off the ground. And so when people talk about, you know, you have such a beautiful kitchen now, I don't have that. I always like to remind people that I started all those videos were filming in my parents' basement. Yeah. <laughs> And it wasn't a kitchen. 
I had one white wall behind me and I totally DIY'd some shelves on the back wall and that's it. I love it. So I had this marble kitchen island in front of me that I bought off Amazon to make it kind of look kitcheny. And you'll see me like if I'm roasting nuts for the almond butter, I just take it and I walk off camera and then I walk back on. So I was totally faking anything that needed an oven or a stove or anything like that. And um, yeah, so the, you know, you talk about starting in a non-perfect situation and just starting there's to great, learn. There's a great message in that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, because I think sometimes we always wait for that perfect. Oh, my kitchen's not bright enough, or it's not clean enough, or you know, it's not this. And so um, you just got to start because those first couple of videos are going to be brutal anyway. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, your audio may be off, or your editing may not be perfect, or and there's no way to grow through that other than to do it. Yep. And, um, yeah, so you just got to start. Um, so I started and I was pretty consistent that whole first year in doing videos about once a week, except for like holidays. Um, and I tell people that even though I've got, you know, phenomenal growth now, that whole first year I pretty much was, you know, was doing a video a week or a video every week and a half on average. And I had nothing. I had crickets. Yeah. I had I had family and friends commenting, and that was about it. And you start going, gosh, like, is anyone going to find me? You know, am I helping anyone? Right. Because it is so much time and effort and energy. And you know, I, I always tell people that YouTube is a long term game. You it's know, an don't investment. It so is. You know, I think that we got used to this kind of instant gratification with the tasty videos on Facebook, and stuff could go viral. And we could create something and, you know, weeks later we could have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views on a video. And, you know, you get this like warm and fuzzy from that. And on YouTube, you're creating content week after week and you're like, there's nothing, you know, I'm getting, you know, a hundred thumbs up if that, and three comments and they're all people I'm related to. <laughs> and so, you know, is there, should I keep doing this? And I always tell people, yes, <laughs> you know, definitely keep doing it. Um, you're, talking, you know, it you're talking to us right now. I hope you <laughs> Yes, you are. You're speaking very directly to my soul. Yes, it's, it's hard and it's brutal. And I think, you know, it, what I have learned is, you know, after a couple of videos have done well is, you know, I have learned obviously some tips and tricks on YouTube and how to perform better. And it's, you know, really just being your authentic self, I think is probably, you know, one of the, the first big tips, um, giving, I think that there's, there's actually a lot of YouTube channels out there that give all of these, Oh, this is how you grow your channel. And a lot of it is surrounded about, you know, looking at other videos that have done well and then doing something similar. And I'm actually going to teach not to do that at tastemaker, um, for a couple of reasons. And, you know, not only does it kind of just make you a copycat, which is never a good thing. Um, but you're then not listening to your own audience. And is that what your audience wanted? You know, that video may have done well for them for a variety of reasons. And so just because you see one channel with, a, you know, a grilled, you know, a grilled steak video that did well, and you do the exact same, you know, do a grilled tri-tip. And, but maybe it's because their audience had asked for it because of something else on their blog. Like you don't really know what's going into it. So just copying, you know, a viral video may not be the best strategy for you. Right. But, but yeah. And so now, gosh, what am I, I'm coming up on two years into YouTube and, and it was funny because I think that, I think my course is titled, 
you know, how to grow 20,000 subscribers in six months. And I think now I've grown 80,000 subscribers in the last six months. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to like, change the title to your well, class. No, how to, how to, how to keep it growing faster. But yeah, but the, and as you grow, you do learn a lot along the way. Which is great. I was going to ask you, so you kind of gave us a little bit of a, a little bit of a preview. I was actually going to ask if you had like three actionable tips, like just thoughtful little nuggets that we could pass on to listeners who are maybe wanting to jump into YouTube or are working on a channel and they're kind of feeling the grind right now. Like, what are three little tidbits that you would pass on? And also know that you're speaking directly to me. <laughs> you mentioned being authentic, right? Yeah. yeah. Authentic is a huge one because we've talked about that, especially with, I think copycat is okay if you're trying to learn, you know, if you're trying to learn how to film or whatever. But if you're going for the long game, like, it's almost for your own benefit and your, even your own mental health just to be yourself and be creative and not be a copycat. Be authentic. Well, and I think that that's a big fear for a lot of people. And, and it was a fear for me as well. You know, I don't have a big, bold personality. You know, I'm just not. And so I'm watching all of these channels with these just vibrant, lively personalities. And I'm like, that's so not me. And I remember, you know, an earlier creator that I had been following, or maybe it was at VidCon last year, which is the, the YouTube creator conference. And I remember somebody saying, you know, YouTubers can spot a fake a mile away. And for some reason that just stuck with me and it's, you know, I think that YouTubers and, you know, I think that just, well, having this conversation that YouTube is a platform, you know, a lot of people look at it like, oh, I'm just going to dump a video on there. You know, YouTube is its own ecosystem. And I think once you get to the point that you call yourself an actual YouTuber, you know, you're not just creating videos and putting them on YouTuber because you're a blogger, but once you can say that you're an actual YouTuber you know, it's that you've embraced that ecosystem and that you're constantly watching other creator videos and you're learning from other creators, even without outside of your niche. I think that's really important. And, you know, your overall growth as well as kind of saying, you know, I'm a YouTuber, I'm going to go all in on this and I'm going to learn this platform just as much as I would learn a blogging platform. You know, it's not a social media platform. It is in and of itself, a total ecosystem. Right. Um, but as far as like a, like an actionable tip, I mean, I would definitely say that make sure that you have whatever keyword you would like to rank for, it's in your title and it's in that first sentence of your video description. And that goes to just helping YouTube understand what your content is about. I see a lot of people putting um, their channel or blog name in their title. And to me, that's kind of wasted real estate. So... Um, YouTube knows who you are. You don't need to put, um, your name or, you know, um, your, you know, so I wouldn't put downshiftology in my title. Although I will say I made that mistake at the beginning and I changed all my titles. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, you know, learn as you go, but use, use your, use your title, um, for really optimizing your keyword and then make sure you're saying that keyword again in the first sentence. And that helps YouTube say, Hey, this is what this video is about. Awesome. Um, that's so, so basic, but it's so important. Yeah, it is. Um, and then I would say for like another tip, um, make sure that you use the tools that YouTube provides. So things like end screens and cards, um, you know, that helps to relate videos from one to another. 
So on your end screen, and it all goes to watch time as well and session time. And those are two huge analytics that we'll talk about at Tastemaker. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get lost in that subscriber number. And, you know, it's one of those things that I like to call like a vanity metric. You know, right. people look at these big channels and they're like, wow, you know, 100,000 subscribers or a million subscribers and they must be doing phenomenal. And it's not always the case. You know, I've seen channels with 10,000 subscribers making more money than channels with 500,000 subscribers. So it's not necessarily about subscribers and watch time and session time are hugely important. And two ways that you can help increase those is by using cards throughout the video. So cards are uh, when you're watching a video and you see kind of up in the top right, uh, a little eye icon in a circle, and then it pops out with a related video and you can put whatever related video that is. So to give an example, um, I just did a recent meal prep video. And as I'm doing my meal prep video, I talk about almond butter as one of my ingredients. Well, lo and behold, I have a video on how to make almond butter. So I'll then put a card linking back to my almond butter video. So that way, if my audience is like, oh, I really want to make that recipe, but oh, she talked about making homemade almond butter. You know, it instantly links those two. Yeah. And, then, and then what you'll also start to notice is as you start to interlink more of these videos using end screens and cards, your other related videos will start to show up in the suggested videos. So as you are watching a YouTube video, um, whether it's on your mobile or on the computer, YouTube always has a list and it's about 20 suggested videos. Mm -hmm. And you want more of your own content to populate in that. And so creators that do a phenomenal job at this, and I can gush give examples of a couple, but you know, they will have all, almost all 20 of those slots of their own videos. That's amazing. And so what happens is, as a, um, as a follower of your channel or somebody who's actually just watching your video clicks on one, then they'll click on another, then they'll click on a third because that's what YouTube is suggesting they do. And now that just completely boosted your watch time. And they're all yours. They're all your videos, not list. Because I've seen before where it's like 20 different creators on the side. But if you can get it so it's all your video, then that's huge. <laughs> it, it is huge. And there's there's a lot of there's a lot of creators that are getting, you know, I've been kind of keeping my eye on a couple. And like I would say 18 to 19 of the videos are their own. Wow. That's which, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And it's just it's like learning these little tricks. And then the end screens also you know, you put, you can put a little uh, link to subscribe to your channel if people aren't already there and uh, a couple more videos that you think they should hop onto next. Um, that's awesome. I'm going to go right now and <laughs> fix all my videos because I have never used a single end card or <laughs> yeah. my videos. Well, I, I am guilty. Um, I am the blogger that you described who was like not considering themselves a YouTuber, but put videos on YouTube because yeah. I had made the videos. And I'm guilty of not really diving into the ecosystem because sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, just one more platform that I have to learn. However, I love what you said about the long game and I love what you've said about investing your time up front and then seeing those returns later on. I think that's incredibly motivating. So as we get ready to wrap up, I just want to give people, we have three, I think you gave some amazing tips and I personally am very excited to start using them. What can we give us like a little synopsis about what we can expect from your class at Tastemaker? 
Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're going to talk about how to grow your YouTube channel. So we're going to talk about how to create a channel that's authentically you. So whether it, you have a calm personality, um, you know, being calm and making the most of that. If you have a bold, you know, lively personality, you know, making the most of that. Dude, I saw a YouTube channel last week. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, yeah. but that just struck me. <laughs> it was literally, his channel is called like a guy sitting and smiling. Oh, how funny. And every single one of his videos is just him sitting in different locations, like beautiful locations and smiling. And he has hundreds of thousands of subscribers of people who just enjoy watching this man smile in different locations. Yeah. Because really like... He just owned that that's what he wanted to do. And it was yeah. literally sitting and smiling. So there's no like, I love that you're not forcing anybody in your class to fit into a certain type of box to create content. So continue. No. And, it, and it's funny because even I would say one of the most common comments I actually get on my channel is you're, you have like a calming and a soothing <laughs> aspect to your videos. You know, and I laugh with my parents and my brother and my family because I was like, you know, I think I'm a big dork, you know, behind the scenes. But obviously, you know, when I'm doing videos, I tend to just be, you know, I guess a little bit more well-spoken and I'm older, you know, I started YouTube pretty much at 40, like two weeks before my 40th birthday. So that was another thing too. And I said, gosh, I'm like the old fart on YouTube. You know, <laughs> this is like, this is like a platform for teenagers and people in their twenties. Like no one is going to want to watch me. Like I'm just too old. And so, you know, I think sometimes we get in our own way and lo and behold, there's people, you know, that want to watch someone in their forties. And I, but I think it is just embracing who you are and that there's something for everybody on yeah. YouTube. You know, I think that's the message is that there's something for everybody. You know, there's people at all different ages of all different personalities, of, you know, and so it's just tapping into that. Um, but we're also going to talk about, I think the concept of building a community. So, I think right now so many people are chasing SEO like crazy. And again, I'm guilty as that, uh, you know, on that as well. And we're looking for these quick wins on our blog, but YouTube being a long-term game, it's about building a community. So even though you want to maximize these videos, it's how do you not just go after the keywords and get hit on one video and then not have people come back? Right. You know, you want to get to the point of building a community where people come back every week to watch your videos and they have no idea what content you're going to, you know, provide just because they want to see you. And they know that you're going to, you know, either educate them or inspire them or entertain them or, um, you know, a variety of those things. And so it's, you know, building that relationship with your community and, um, getting them to come back. So we'll talk about community building. Um, we'll talk obviously about a lot of the tactical tips, uh, you know, from keyword research to creating thumbnails that get clicked to creating playlists, to captioning your videos, because that also boosts SEO, to video flow and cadence, um, which helps to increase that watch time. And then just understanding your creator studio and all of the different analytics and looking at that data to find areas of opportunity for your channel. Cool. And you didn't say it directly, but I'd say you could add consistency there too, because you said someone will come back every week and check to see what you're doing. So consistency is key too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say, especially when your channel is new, I mean, this is actually a conversation I've been having with my community lately because there's been a couple of weeks where I haven't done a video, but then I notify them. 
I use the community tab on YouTube and I say, Hey guys, you know, something came up or I'm traveling at a conference, so I'm not going to do a video this week, but this is what I'm working on. And so it's taking that time to invest in your community and keep them updated. And then, you know, I get all these, Hey, no worries. We're here. <laughs> We're excited to see with what you come back in two weeks. That's and awesome. So it's really treating them with that level of respect that, you know, they, they invest in you, you know, that, uh, they come back every week. So, you know, it's putting that back into them. Yep. I love it. All right. Well, to all our listeners, Lisa will be presenting on YouTube and teaching you all that she knows, um, September 14th and 15th. So if you don't have tickets yet, and that's 2018 in case you're listening in the a future. year from now, yeah, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, September 14th and 15th, 2018. And anyway, it's, we're really excited for her to present there. And we're just so grateful that, that you took the time to speak with us today, Lisa. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I just, I'm just really happy, actually. <laughs> I feel like re-motivated and re-inspired. So I'm excited to have you at Tastemaker and to pick your brain for even all of the knowledge that we didn't cover on the podcast and I'm excited for what you're teaching because I feel like it's valuable and it's pertinent and I feel like it's another avenue for food bloggers to start really building out their brands and I think it's important. So I'm excited to see you there and I'm grateful that you took the time to hang out with us today. Yeah, it was, it's been fun. Thank you guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a good one, everybody. As always, the production of this podcast was brought to you by Shiny Heads Productions. Check them out at shinyheadsproductions.com to find royalty-free music for your video projects. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.